All right, good morning. Um, if uh, anyone is a middle schooler here, sixth to eighth grade, there is going to be uh, our once a month class going on downstairs for you guys. So feel free to make your way down now. So before I get to this morning's sermon, there's a couple things I, I wanted to say. Uh, as most of you know, this is my first Sunday preaching in a month. Uh, I took a preaching leave of absence four weeks after getting married. And I just want to thank you guys for giving me the space to do that, to the board of directors for giving me uh, the space to do that. Um, having that space to just take some time off and transition uh, into marriage was priceless uh, for both Sarah and I. Uh, just really appreciate having that time. And so I thank all of you guys very much for that. Uh, that said, though, it's good to get back to work. And I'm excited for what lies ahead uh, for our church. Uh, like Earl said, this morning we are concluding the Scenes and Acts series, and the next sermon series that we're going to be doing is called Conversations with Jesus. And so we're going to be looking at the places in the Gospels where there's a, a real back and forth, a dialogue between Jesus and somebody else, and asking ourselves what we can learn from those places. You might be surprised that there's actually not a ton of, of dialogues between Jesus and the Gospels. There's definitely... There's definitely some, but there's not a, a ton of them. And so I want to take the time to really look at those and see how Jesus handles those conversations, uh, what, we can, what we can learn there. So that's what's next. And I would recommend, if you're thinking about a time to invite somebody to church, it's an especially good time because this is the kind of sermon series where it doesn't really that matter that much whether you missed the previous week because it's not really like we're building you know, sermon after sermon on a particular book or something like that. And then secondly, this is a sermon series where Jesus, the center of our faith, is very much front and center, right? So great opportunity to invite somebody uh, to church. Uh, think about somebody you might be able to, to invite. So, but before we get to that new series, we've got one more uh, dramatic moment to look at in the book of Acts. And believe it or not, we have been in this series now for 14 weeks this is the longest series that I have been a part of uh, since coming to St. Paul's. And one of the reasons that it's been so long is because the aim was to talk about the dramatic moments in the book of Acts. And there is a lot of dramatic moments in the book of Acts. Even after 14 weeks, we really haven't covered all of them. And something you may have noticed is that one of the reasons Acts is so dramatic is because the apostles have a lot of power, right? Don't they have a lot of power? Don't they demonstrate a lot of power? You know, over the last 14 weeks, we've heard about them boldly proclaiming the gospel and starting new churches all over the Roman Empire. We've heard about them performing miraculous signs and wonders, about them exorcising demons, about them even raising people from the dead, about people touching handkerchiefs that they touched and then being healed all kinds of uh, crazy stuff like that. Wherever they go, they seem to wield a massive amount of influence. People notice them. Lives are changed. Economies are disrupted, right? It's like everywhere they go, the kingdom of, of God breaks through the kingdoms of this world and overpowers them. And not only do these early followers of Jesus have this incredible power to do miracles and teach and influence and all of that, but they also have an incredible amount of power to make good decisions. Right? They have an incredible amount of power to choose what is right 
rather than what's easy. We see that demonstrated over and over again. Remember, Peter had the power to reject Simon the sorcerer's bribe. Um, and Peter had the power to let go of us and them thinking and start to see Gentiles as part of the family of God. He, that was overcoming centuries of, of a perspective that had been ingrained in him. And, and we saw that the Apostle Paul had the power to do a complete 180 in his life, right? To go from persecuting Christians to becoming quite possibly the greatest missionary that's ever lived. And we saw how Paul and Silas had power when they were had been beaten and thrown in jail to worship God rather than get resentful towards God. And we saw how they had power to show love for their, their, their Roman jailer rather than to just be concerned about escaping. You know, when they had an opportunity to escape from jail rather than just running out of the jail, they had the power to love their enemy and be concerned about their jailer. So over and over again, throughout these last 14 weeks, we've seen that the apostles have this power to choose what's right rather than what's easy, to choose love over fear, and to choose worship over bitterness and resentment, right? Now, I'm not saying the apostles were perfect. We've talked about that some too, right? They weren't. Remember uh, Paul and Barnabas's big fight? So these were not perfect people, but they did demonstrate a lot of power. That's why this book is called The Acts of the Apostles. These are the things that the apostles did, and they're amazing, and they're filled with power. And so you might be thinking, you, I don't know for sure, but some of you might be thinking, how could I ever be anything like them? How could I ever be anything like them? You might feel like these, these stories are like stories of supermen. And you might feel, well, they're nice, they're interesting, but maybe deep down you feel like they're a little bit irrelevant for modern people like you and me. Sometimes I feel that way. And because some of us might be feeling that way, I think it's important for us to end this series by going back to the very beginning of Acts and looking at one of the most critical and dramatic scenes that we skipped over in the beginning, which is the scene of when the Holy Spirit came down on the day that we now call Pentecost. The day when he filled those early followers of Jesus. Because that moment should remind us that these early followers of Jesus weren't extraordinary because they were extraordinary, right? They were extraordinary because their God was extraordinary. And because their extraordinary God filled them with an extraordinary power through the Holy Spirit. Now, this moment of this outpouring of power, uh, this moment was anticipated by Jesus. He talked about it. In the Gospel of Luke, uh, he says in uh, chapter 24, starting in verse 46, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So notice what Jesus is saying here, right? He's saying, it was prophesied that the Christ would suffer and die and rise from the dead. In case you missed it, that is what just happened. But that's not all, right? There's more to come. He says, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Now, who's going to do that? Well, he says, you, 
are my witnesses of these things. But notice, the next thing that he says isn't, all right, you guys have lived with me for three years, you've seen me resurrected, so go get to it. Go do it now, right? He doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, wait until what my Father has promised is given to you. Wait to be clothed with power from on high. And I, I really want us to think about how remarkable that is, right? Because that's saying that people who lived with Jesus for three years, people who listened to his teaching for three years, people, these were people who, who lived with God incarnate. How many people can say that you know, they lived with God incarnate? But they were not ready to go and be Jesus' witnesses until they received this special extra gift from God. And if that's true of the disciples, how much more so must it be true for us, who were not first-hand witnesses of God in the flesh, who were not first-hand witnesses of the crucifixion or the resurrection? We must need that extra gift even more. If they needed special power to get the job done, we need it even more. Now, the passage that we're about to look at is the description of what happened when that power first came uh, to the followers of Jesus. So if you want to follow along in your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And what we're going to do as we read this is we're going to ask three questions. They are, what does this power do? Is this power available to me? And if so, what do I need to do to experience it? So keep those in mind as we read this passage. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And just so you guys know, the they that's being referred to there is not just the 12 disciples, but it's probably about 120 of the early followers of Jesus. So you might have this image of, in your head of just the 12, but it's actually quite a bit more than that. So 120 people. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt in the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. All right, so again, remember those three questions. What does this power do? Is this power available to me? And if so, what do I need to do to experience it? So that first question, what does this power do? 
Well, I see three primary effects of the Spirit's power in this passage. Number one, they declare the wonders of God. Now, usually the first thing we notice is, well, they're speaking in tongues. But notice what they're speaking when they're speaking in tongues, right? It says they are declaring the wonders of God. And what that means is that they would be talking about what God has done through Jesus. They would be talking about how Jesus was crucified, but he is alive. He rose from the dead. He's conquered death. And through him, we can have forgiveness of our sins and have eternal life. So that is the the kind of wonders of God that they would be talking about. And what what this should show us is that when the Holy Spirit's power comes into our lives, we have a passion to talk about what God has done. Okay, we have a passion to talk about the gospel. I remember back when I worked for Crew, I knew a student who went from being skeptical about Christianity to really placing his faith in Christ. And after he placed his faith in Christ, he would always carry with him in his backpack as he walked around campus this document, I think it was around 100 pages, that he had compiled of reasons to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and, you know, with the argumentation for each one of them. Now, why did he do that? Well, he wasn't a pushy guy. He wasn't the kind of guy who would just sit down next to a stranger, take that out, and be like, you need to listen to me tell you about this. But he had such a passion to talk about what he had learned that he just wanted to be ready if the, if the opportunity presented itself. He had a passion to communicate that Jesus is alive, right? And when the Holy Spirit fills us, we have this passion to proclaim the wonders of God. So that's one effect. A second effect, and I think this is a really interesting one, is they speak in a way that people outside their cultural group can understand. When the Spirit comes, they speak in a way that people outside their group can understand. And of course, the way that that happens in this case is super dramatic, right? They speak in tongues, which means everyone started speaking in languages that they had never learned. It's a miracle. Now, when some people talk about Pentecost, when they talk about being filled with the Spirit, the thing that they really emphasize is speaking in tongues. And what some people will say is, well, being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's all about speaking in tongues. See, the Holy Spirit came, everybody spoke in tongues. You have got to speak in tongues. If you're going to be filled with the Spirit, that's what it means. The two things are synonymous. Filled with the Spirit, speak in tongues. Now, I believe speaking in tongues is a, is a real gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave that gift in the past. I believe that the Holy Spirit still gives that gift Today, I don't want to diminish the beauty or the significance of that gift, but I I don't think we should jump to the conclusion that being filled with the Spirit and speaking in in tongues is synonymous, uh, that it's exactly the same thing, because I think that all believers can be filled with the Spirit, but I don't think that all believers are given the gift of speaking in tongues, okay? And if you're not sure about that, I encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 12, Uh, Because in that chapter, I think the Apostle Paul is quite clear that the gift of tongues is not something that every uh, believer has. 
And if you disagree with me, then email me this week, we can talk about it. But I don't know how to read 1 Corinthians 12 without seeing it as saying that not every believer is given uh, that gift. So, unlike those who would, would place a huge emphasis on speaking in tongues, what I want to emphasize here is the Spirit's power to enable people to speak across cultural groups. Okay? Um, Yes, the Holy Spirit gave people power to speak in other tongues here, but the Holy Spirit's purpose in doing that wasn't just to do a cool miracle. It is a cool miracle, right? But that wasn't just the purpose. The purpose was to communicate the gospel across cultural lines, right? To break those cultural barriers and communicate the gospel with people who are different. And I believe that is still one of the primary effects of the Holy Spirit's work. Uh, when the Holy Spirit's power is in our lives, we have this power to communicate with those who are different from us. Okay? We have a, a power to transcend the cultural barriers, the social barriers, uh, the racial barriers, the political barriers, even those. Uh, all the barriers that ordinarily keep us from talking to each other we have a power through the Holy Spirit to speak across those barriers about who God is and what he has done. That's one of the, the glorious things about the power of the Holy Spirit. And maybe God will enable you to speak in a language you've never spoken in before in order to do that. But most of the time, I think God does it in other ways. Often it's just because God's Spirit empowers us to love those who are different than us to love those who are not part of our tribe because God helps us to see the value and the worth in all people. So I see that as the second primary effect of the Spirit here. The third effect, joyful freedom. Joyful freedom. Remember, we're told that some of the people who were witnessing this said, oh, it's just because they've had too much wine which is a weird accusation when you think about it because a characteristic of drunk people isn't usually speaking languages that you've never learned before, right? At least not real languages. So I don't think the accusation of drunkenness has anything to do with them speaking other languages. I think it has to do with the attitude that was being perceived from the crowd, which is an attitude of joyful freedom. I think whoever was witnessing what was going on was able to see these people are relaxed, they're happy, they're carefree, right? They're not anxious. They're just filled with joy. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's one of the powers that the, that the Holy Spirit brings is he gives us a sense of joy and freedom. And just to be clear, like, hey, I'm not saying that if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're never going to be sad, you're never going to mourn, you're never going to feel fear. But there is a power that comes with the filling of the Holy Spirit to feel a sense of joy and peace and freedom, regardless of circumstances. All right, so that's answering that first question. What does this power do? Let's go to that, the second question. Is this power available to me? And this is going to be quick. Yes. <laughs> The answer is yes. Uh, if you are a follower of Jesus, whoops, the power is available to you. Keep in mind, 
the people who are waiting for the Holy Spirit, the 120 people, it says all of them receive the Holy Spirit, right? And immediately after that, the author of Acts goes to great trouble to list all these different kinds of people that are delivered the message, right? When, when I was reading that, you might have been thinking, uh, why, why do we have to hear the names of all these different places, right? Why doesn't it just say there were 15 different cultural groups that heard the message in their own tongue? Why do we have to name every one? Well, it's because the author is trying to get us to realize that this message really is for everybody. There's probably some cultural group in there that if you were reading it at the time, you'd be like, oh, I never liked them. Right. And so it's important to specify all these groups were there. This, this message, what God is doing through the Holy Spirit, is for everybody. Okay, So is this power available to you? The implication is yes. Yes, it is. Now, when it shows up in your life, it might not look exactly like a tongue of fire coming and resting on your head. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. But the primary effects of that power that we just talked about that, talked about, those are available. Those are available to you. But of course, okay, the spirit doesn't just automatically fill every person on earth, right? In this story, there's three kinds of people. There are people who are filled with the spirit. There are people who are listening to those who are filled with, with the spirit. And there's people who are making fun of those who are filled with the spirit. Everyone is not just automatically filled. And so that brings us to the third question, which is what do I need to do to experience this power in my own life? What do I need to do to experience this power? God has this power available, this power to uh, proclaim what Jesus has done, to do it in a way that transcends all the cultural barriers and to do it joyfully. How do I get that power? What do I need to do? All right, well... The first place I think we should go to answer that question is just a little bit further in this same chapter in Acts. Skip down to verse 38. Uh, Peter addresses the crowd after they say, oh, they must have just had too much to drink. And he explains what's going on. And near the end of his speech, he, he says this. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So, right there we have two actions that Peter gives us that are either supposed to precede receiving the Holy Spirit or at least coincide with receiving the Holy Spirit, right? Repent and be baptized. So if you're taking notes, those are the first two things in the list. Repent and be baptized. Now, what does it mean to repent? When you hear that word repent, you might think, oh, what Peter is saying is all of you must completely get your, your lives together, must be perfect, and then the Holy Spirit will come, right? But literally, what the word repent means is to change your mind, Okay. Now, you could change your mind about anything, right? Clearly, Peter has something specific in mind here. What is he saying you need, to, you need to change your mind about? Well, Peter is talking to a crowd of Jews, Jews in Jerusalem. And that means that these are Jews who primarily have 
have rejected Jesus for the most part. And they have not recognized Jesus as Lord. Uh, some of these, these Jews had a hand in, in having Jesus handed over to be crucified. And so these are people who have not recognized Jesus as Lord. They don't see him as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. And Peter has just spent the last few, few verses explaining why Jesus does fulfill Old Testament prophecies. And then he says, change your mind, right? Change your mind about who Jesus is. See him as Lord. Okay. So if we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that's the first thing we need to do, is we need to change our minds to recognize Jesus as Lord, to see him as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy and the Savior of the world. Okay. He is God. Um, and then step two, according to Peter, is uh, be baptized. Be baptized. The act of baptism... Okay, this, this sacred ritual of being immersed in the water, um, that is something that was and, and is an official way of saying, I am trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins, and I am being born again into his family. Okay. Now, I don't want to go so far as to say that if someone has not been baptized, there is just no way they've ever experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit. I... I've known people who have had powerful experiences of the Holy Spirit uh, before they were baptized. So I don't want to go as far as to, you know, declare that uh, with, with, uh, with any kind of certainty. Um, but I do believe that there is a power in being baptized that opens us up to more of the Spirit's power, power in our lives. Um, because there is something about being obedient to Jesus' command to be baptized um, that unleashes that power. There's something about, about expressing our commitment to Jesus in the way that Jesus asked us to that has power. Um, I've known people who um, were Christians for years, but they didn't experience victory over certain sins in their life and freedom from certain addictions until they took the step to be baptized. So, if you want to experience the filling of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of that, it cannot hurt, and it is a good thing to be baptized and to be obedient to that command. And if, if you've never been baptized and you're interested, please let me know, because we would love to arrange for that to happen if you're ready to take that step. All right, so those are two things we can do to experience this power, two things that Peter, Peter suggests. But there's a few more I want to say before we, we finish today. And the third one is something that I touched on a little bit at the beginning of the message, and it's this. We've got to recognize our need for God's help. Uh, in other words, we need to realize that we really do need this extra gift from God if we are going to have power to be his witnesses. Uh, we have to realize we cannot generate that power in our own strength. We need it to come from outside of ourselves. The disciples couldn't generate it on their own strength. The early apostles could not. So we cannot either. And you know, 
I'll be honest with you guys. I think this is a truth that I am still learning. I can say it in my head, but to actually believe it in my heart is something that's taking time in my life. Um, but there really is nothing, I think, that hinders the Spirit's work more than an attitude of self-reliance. Okay, An attitude that says, I'm going to be able to be an effective witness for God um, just through my own cleverness, uh, through my own charm, my good education, um, my hospitality even. I'm going to be able to do it. Like, I'm going to be able to bring people to faith in Jesus by my gifts, my, my strengths, my power, whatever. That attitude is toxic to the movement of the Holy Spirit because it's an attitude that's rooted in pride. And the Spirit always prefers to work through humility. And so we need to learn that the Spirit's power is going to be unleashed the more that we recognize the reality that in our own strength we are weak and we are powerless to be effective witnesses for Christ. So it's very important to remember that. We've, we can't trust on our own strength. Fourth thing we need to do, and this is one that seems so obvious it's not worth saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, which is ask. Ask. One of my favorite things that Jesus ever said is uh, in Luke 11, he says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I love that. You know, Jesus is saying, even a bad dad knows how to give a good gift to his kid. So how much more so will a good God be willing to give good gifts to his children? And specifically, the best gift of all, the Holy Spirit. You know, any of you who are parents, if, you're, if your kid came to you and was like, could I have more time to work on my homework? Or, you know, could, could, I, could I have vegetables for dinner, Daddy? Um, or, you know, could I have some money to buy a Bible? you would be like, I, of course, yeah, right? Are you going to turn down that opportunity? So imagine how much more so when we come before our Heavenly Father and say, can, we ha can I have the Holy Spirit? Is he going to be like, yeah, of course. So if we haven't asked, we should ask. Now, what if you ask and you feel like the amount of power in your life as a Christian doesn't increase. You feel like things are just staying the same. What do you do then? Well, I actually doubt that will happen. I think that if you sincerely ask, you repent, you've been baptized, I think you're going to experience a difference. But let's just say, hypothetically, things seem to, to, to stay the same. I would encourage you to then do something simple but it's actually rooted in the text, wait. And specifically, wait expectantly. You know, keep in mind, there was a time period between when uh, the early followers of Jesus were told to wait 
for the Holy Spirit and when they actually received the Holy Spirit, right? They, they had to spend some time waiting. And sometimes we spend some time waiting before we really experience the power of the Spirit in our lives. And that's okay. Just be patient. Wait. Trust. And then one last thing uh, I want to I add is keep asking. Keep asking. You know, sometimes we think that being filled with the Holy Spirit is this, this one-time thing. And then once we've been filled with the Spirit, well, we, we shouldn't ask any, anymore because that's it. You know, it's kind of like getting married. You don't get remarried over and over again, right? But being filled with the Spirit is, I think it's, we need to think of it differently than that. Um, in Ephesians 5.18, Paul uh, commands us to be filled with the Spirit. And that verb for filled is actually in the continuous tense. So it's as if it's saying, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's a, it's a bit like putting gas in your car, right? If you went to the gas station, you put gas in your car once, and then you said, well, I'm all set. I can drive, you know, for the rest of this car's lifetime. You would quickly realize that actually that's not true. You're going to run out of power, right? And similarly, our, our souls, our spiritual tanks, are supposed to be filled repeatedly by the Holy Spirit. Um, it is, it's supposed to be a continuous action. So I encourage us on a daily basis, really, to especially start the day by saying, Lord, please just... Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with that power uh, that is available through, through Jesus. Um, so let's, let's close today uh, by praying and asking for that power in our lives. Lord, we uh, come before you right now and we just want to acknowledge that uh, we cannot be an effective church. We cannot be effective witnesses for you in our own strength. Uh, we can't just rely on our natural talents and abilities and, and uh, expect to see real, real power uh, in our witness. Lord, we know that we need this, this gift from you. So Lord, we, we come before you humbly. We acknowledge that uh, we are recognizing Jesus as Lord, and we are asking that this power that you made available uh, to the apostles, you would also give to us, Lord, this power to, to be able to be your witnesses, to, to love across cultural barriers, and to be filled with joy. We ask for it, Lord, uh, in, in the faith and confidence that you are a generous Father that wants to bless us with it, and, and we just pray that we would experience it, Lord that we'd be sensitive to your Holy Spirit's leading, and that we would um, repeatedly uh, ask to experience your, your, your Spirit's power. In Jesus' name, amen.